that's pretty exciting. Really cool. And, you know, I noticed that I used to hold the babies, and they would spit up and do things. Steve didn't even touch a baby. Did you notice that? <laughs> you know, you got to get dirty doing the job, buddy. That's all I got to say. We're really um, ha- happy for all of you guys. We brought the babies in for a dedication. Really cool to have them here with us today. Most of you know, not because you want to, but because I force it on you, most of you know that I was raised in Texas, and that it is not, I was not raised in the most visually inspiring part of the state. I was, I was raised with nothing but pump jacks and cotton fields. That's actually from my hometown right there. There it is, all the beauty, the splendor of level land, Texas. In one picture, right there. That's all you got right there, folks. And so, you know what? It says a lot if you can be proud from coming from a place like that. And I've tried all the time to not rub that in people's faces. Okay, I'm lying. I love it. (laughs) But I love being from home. And some of y'all from your places, you probably love it too and all. And yes, I'm somewhat prideful. And I've even given a few of my Philly friends a little bit of a hard time that they're not from Texas. <laughs> Imagine my surprise three years ago when I finally started to investigate Ancestry.com. <laughs> they call it humble pie. <laughs> if I traced it correctly, and there's two options it could have been. If I traced it correctly, I was able to trace back the Harper family line, my mother's family line, back to Captain John Harper, born in 1728. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hey, hey, hey. Don't get personal. All right? Yeah. I wore my Dallas Cowboy socks today. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it's a little bit. I'm still working through that a little bit, okay? All right? Now then, I bring up that interesting little tidbit, humbling as it is, because today we're studying a genealogy. Open up your Bibles. And the reason why we're doing this, open your Bibles to Genesis 4. And the reason we're doing this is because like, I come to this passage, and as I'm looking, I'm finding that there are a lot of pastors who don't really spend a lot of time in the genealogies. And believe you me, I was tempted. And when I get done this morning, you might say you should have skipped it. But we're going to see. I really do believe that there is something in it. Because First Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you know, all Scripture, right? You know the passage? All Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. If that is so, and if God purposefully and supernaturally intended Genesis 5 to be in this book, there's something in there for us. So I delved, foolish as I may be, to find that something. We're going to start actually in Genesis 4, because there's two genealogies in this passage that I want us to, sp- to take a look at. Genesis 4, we're, in, we're ending up, or we're starting where we ended up last week, in verse 17. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch, and he built a city. 
and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Erod, and Erod was, became the father of, and you'll forgive me for some of my names, I'm going to butcher some of these, Mahujala, and Mahujala became the father of Methuselah, Methuselah, and Methuselah became the father of Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives, the name of one being Adah and the other Zillah. And Adah gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the lyre and the, the lyre and the pipe, the harp and the pipe. And as for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Label said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, Lamech is seventy-sevenfold. Verse 25, And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named his name Enosh. Then man began to call upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam Adam, and the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created him male and female and, and blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he, begat the, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. And when the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, he had other sons and daughters. And so all the days that Adam had lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, we don't usually read a passage this long, but today we are, because it's important what we're reading. I want you to get the full sense of it. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enosh lived 90 years, and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters, and all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And Kenan lived 70 years, and became the father of Mahalalah. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalah, and, and he had other sons and daughters. And all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalah lived 60, 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalah lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalah were 895 years, and he died. And Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. You picking up on a pattern? What do we say about our Bible study? We're always looking for patterns. And Enoch lived 65, did I say that already? Good, verse 21. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. And that name you probably heard because you probably referred to your grandmother as being old as Methuselah, right? Or your mother-in-law. I'm sorry, there's mother-in-laws in the audience. I didn't mean that. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. 
So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Break in pattern. And Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years, and he became the father of a son. Now he called the name now he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Another break in our pattern. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years. Interesting, 777. You know something about those sevens, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Amen. There are several questions we could talk about from this passage. Some are pretty obvious, some are not. You know, for instance, you know, it's the most often question asked about this is, what, is, what do you think the most often question asked about this passage is? They were so old. Like, how did that happen? If you look at it, Adam was 930 years, Seth was 912, Enosh 905, 910, 895, 962, Enoch you know, God took him. Methuselah, oldest one of the bunch, 969. Lamech, 777. Noah, 950. But we don't know. That's all we can really say about the passage, about the text. We don't know for certain. There are some things you could speculate about. You could speculate that they had just, I mean, that they had just come out of the garden. You could speculate that Seth, I mean, that Adam and Cain and Abel were not the only children alive, that perhaps Seth was alive as well, and he came out of the garden. Even if they were not born in the garden, but they came out of the garden, the closest, the best speculation we can have is that there was a garden effect that lasted on the early generations. And that, what, and that whatever it was about living in the garden that gave them that tree of life kind of impact, that they continued on. For hundreds of years. Perhaps you could also say that it was because it was pre-flood that there was something about the environment. There was something about the, the world and nature that let them live that long. Then one other thing you say is, why did they live this long? Well, imagine this. Sean and Kate have had four children in less than 10 years. Can you imagine if they lived to be 900 years, how many children they'd have? And so if you want to populate the earth, you're going to make them fertile and give them lots of time to do it. Theory, just a theory. So in other words, the length of life and the ability to make babies for hundreds of years provided for a very effective way to populate the earth. Notice the pattern in the two chapters. In chapter 4, with every new generation, we learn what they accomplished. Cain was a city builder. Lamech was the first polygamous. Jabal was herder, animal husbandry. Jubal was the first musician. Tubal Cain was a metal worker. Lamech was also the first poet. Notice that we don't know how long any of them lived. That's the difference from chapter 5. We don't know how old they were when their children were born, and there's no mention of how old they were when they died. Every generation we hear the same thing. In chapter 5, 
how old they were when the child was born, the name of the child, how many years they lived after, how old they were when they died. And then there's one phrase that you should have heard in this chapter, and he died. And he died. Every single one of them says he died. Again, speculation. Why is it that in chapter 4, when you're talking about all the bad guys, the bad seeds, that he doesn't talk about all them dying? But when he's talking about all the good seed, every single time they died, with the exception of Enoch. Every single time he says they died. Again, we'll have to speculate. You'll have to wonder about it. There is no purposeful, real reason that we can figure out necessarily. It's interesting that perhaps that emphasis on dying was only made here because it's in these righteous ones. Perhaps because it's, it's extending that even the righteous seed suffered the curse of the garden in death. Even they did. Some have taken the time to count up the number of years and determined... I didn't do this, but some have taken the time to count up the number of years from Adam to the flood to be 1,656 years. I'm not a huge numerology person. Some people are. Some people make their kind of like have have established their name in theology by associating numbers with things. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's interesting if you are into numbers and want to add it up that that's a number that exists there. Whether or not it is accurate, I wouldn't be able to say. But if you were to do that, you could conclude that Adam lived long enough to see many of his descendants be born. And if that's the case, then he also lived long enough to see his sin unravel in his descendants. If he did live long enough to see Enoch or Methuselah, I don't know, the good seeds to be born... That means he was also able to live long enough to see the bad seeds be born and unravel and continue to perpetuate the brokenness and the sinfulness that he himself had begun in the garden. There's two unique notes that we can make about chapter 5. The oldest man, we already talked about that, is on record as there. And then the only man, or the, one of the first men, first man, to ever just disappear with God, to God to take him, is in verse 24 with Enoch. So here we have two genealogies. The genealogy of Cain, the genealogy of Seth, with Adam being the father. But there's two very different endings in both of these genealogies. And the ending with Cain's genealogy, they were snuffed out. Literally, they were washed out. Because there were none of Cain's descendants who lived beyond the flood. But Seth's descendants did, and the descendants of Noah. Cain's children followed in his footsteps. Matter of fact, in the book of Jude, not one that many people visit, not one that many people spend a lot of time in, in the book of Jude, actually Cain and these, these characters in Genesis 4 and 5 are mentioned twice. And in verse 11 of Jude, it says that, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And that whole chapter, that whole setting there, that passage is a listing of false teachers and heretics. It throws Cain in the mix of all that and says he is like one of them. In each genealogy, you'll also find a Lamech in the list. But they have very different people. Because, for instance, 
Lamech, the son of Cain, he was a boastful, a murderer, a polygamist. The son of Methuselah, he fathered Noah, whom God had favor on. You see the difference there in the two lines. At that point with these two men with the same name. One was, was in full bloom of Cain's sin. And the other one was the father of the one that God would choose to keep the seed of mankind going forward. One commentator has said that the promise of the seed from chapter 3, that means the seed God, where God's speaking to, to Adam and Eve and the serpent, and right there he says, your seed will crush his head and your seed will bruise their, he- bruise their heel. He says, the promise of the seed from chapter 3 now coming through Seth, not through Cain, so the whole of chapter 5 is a description of the ever-narrowing line through which the Messiah will come. John MacArthur makes the note, he says, this gives us hope that we can escape our death for ourselves. Hope that the promise of Genesis 3.15 will come true, and that the genealogy of, of, of chapter 5, the Messiah will come to it. And then matter of fact, if you, just, if you know your New Testament theology, you're going to know that while we are not in that seed, but but Peruse and Larry, any of our Jewish brothers and sisters, they are, we are grafted into that seed. We have been grafted into that family. And so though we are not Jewish in our seed, we are grafted in and we enjoy the fruit and the benefit of the line of Seth. The genealogy in chapter 5 is the one that the Messiah will come through. And later on, one can trace his ancestors back to chapter 3, Back to chapter 1, all the way through 3, they'll be able to trace them all the way to the Messiah, to the, from the Messiah to, the, to Adam and Seth. And if the serpent's head is ever to be crushed, it will happen because chapter 5 is written in our Bibles. It will happen because there is a godly seed that existed and was preserved. Why is this genealogy important? It makes the case for the accuracy and the validity of Scripture. If you were to look at this genealogy here, and you were to look at how it's written in chapter 5, and you were to pull out these 10 men's names, you could go to First Chronicles chapter 1, and this is exactly how it reads. It starts off, and all it says is this. It doesn't say anything but this. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalah, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. That's where it starts. So here we are hundreds of years later. First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, and the exact same genealogy is called out just as it was in Genesis 5. Not only that, if you've been doing your Advent reading perhaps, you've come into Luke chapter 3, and you come to a genealogy, and again you're like going, okay, Luke chapter 4. But if you look at it, you're going to see that as, it, as, as this chapter goes backwards, because it starts with Joseph and it goes backwards, you're going to see that it's the exact names that we read in Genesis 5 are in Luke 3, 36 through 38. Exact ones. And then finally, here's Jude, the tiny book of Jude again. It gets mentioned twice today, first time in 10 years. Verse 14 of Jude says, mentions that Enoch was the seventh generation of Adam. You'll find that verified in Genesis, First Chronicles, and Luke. So here we are, 
throughout Scripture at spaces hundreds of years apart. And this same genealogy has been verified hundreds of years apart by men who were not there, but who can verify that genealogy as being the same. This genealogy and others like it gives us something that we can stand on when we are uncertain about whether this is true, about whether the promises in it are carried forward, whether there's a consistency in it going forward. And a case in point is that different men wrote all this, and their details are the same. So the God who inspired the writers to record what God had said to them, we derive hope knowing that all these years the promise of God is still being fulfilled. The New Testament looks back on the Old Testament. The Old Testament points forward to the New Testament. Let me just ask you this. This morning, several of you are here. You brought your babies here because you're dedicating them. You brought your babies here because you're dedicating them. And, or you've had your babies here for a long time. We do not bring babies into this world and hope it'll be okay. Those of us in Christ don't. We don't. Because I can look to the Word of God and I can find that from Genesis, all that they waited through Revelation, that the word of God is consistent and true. And I can find the things that Jesus said throughout the New Testament, and Paul said throughout the New Testament, when he talked about things, I look at my own life at times and places, and I say, that is true. God's word is true. And if God is a promise keeper, and if God is a covenant keeper, then we bring children into this world with hope, unlike others who worry for them. We have hope because we serve and love and are kept by a God who is a promise keeper. We are kept by a God who made a covenant and has not failed to keep one iota of it. And so when we bring these babies here and we dedicate them here in this church, there is a covenant keeper God who is far more dedicated to them than this church will ever be. And they will have the choice someday to raise up in a church, just like so many of you have. But today, Sean and Kate are a perfect example. Raised up in a church, made the decision for Christ, stayed in the church. And that decision to, to trust Christ as their personal Savior puts them underneath an umbrella of safekeeping that God keeps for those who call him their Savior. For those who call him God, for those who place their faith in them, in Jesus, for the redemption of their sin, they are kept safe. And so it does not matter who president is. It does not matter who has nuclear arms. It does not matter who has bioterrorism. It does not matter who ISIS is or anybody else is. In this life, it will be hard. In this life, it will be painful and difficult. But in this life, it's full of hope because we have a promise-keeping God who will never let us down. These genealogies point to that. Another reason why the genealogy is important It draws our attention to what is important. The main contrast between the lines of Cain and Seth is that the emphasis of each of Cain's line is credited with what one might be called worldly progress or achievements. Cain built the first city, and his descendants all did certain other cultural or important things, so to speak. But then what is emphasized in the line of Seth? There's no mention made of any great contributions or achievements. Two things marked out the men of chapter 5. First of all, they were men of faith. 
They looked back and grasped the fact that there's sin in the world and, and they were rooted in that sin and they had to have something to look forward to. And even then, even then, after having just walked out of the garden, there was something they were looking forward to that God in his own provision had given them to hope, into, hope for. Enoch walked with God. There's a great deal to be said for that, is there not? Noah found favor in God's eyes. That is what stands out in chapter 5. Hebrews 11, 5, mentioned, 5 and 7 mentions Enoch and Noah and the Hall of Fame of Faithful. And it says that Enoch was pleasing to God. In verse 7 of chapter 11, it says that Noah began, became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So the sons of Cain impacted the world with metalwork and music and herding and polygamy. But that's not what the text says about the sons of Seth. It says that they lived and they died and they had sons. But what's inherent in that text and while it only says it about Enoch, that he walked with the God, it's obvious that he's not the only one that had that kind of walk with God. We know this by their sons. We know that they were faithful to the truth because they handed it down to their sons, and their sons handed it down to their sons. And that is no small thing. That is eternal. They walked with God. What is the difference between these two genealogies? One accomplished something. All of our musicians here today had their start with Cain. They accomplished something. They're known for something like that. But all of those in chapter 5 are not known for accomplishing something. They're known for an eternal something. They're known for walking with God. There are plenty of us in this room today. I know some of your stories. Some of you know my story where we were brought up in families that were following in the ways of Cain. We have been brought up in families of drunks and addicts and cheaters and adulterers and liars and beaters, abandoners, people who did not give us any dignity or any worth. We were brought up with people like that. And there are so many people in this room who have changed their genealogy, who have broken that curse on their family. And they are now bringing up children who know nothing of that. As I was raised in a family, all of my years growing up, I can remember periods of drunkenness in our home. Raised by an alcoholic, and everything that comes with being raised by an alcoholic. But I can tell you today that I am not following that man's footsteps because Jesus saved me. I am not following that man's footsteps because there is a God who steps into time frames, into genealogies, into families, and changes them. And moves them from paths of destruction into paths of of livelihood and vibrancy and fruit. Oh, Lord knows I am not perfect. Ask that woman downstairs in children's ministry right now. She'll tell you I am not perfect. And a lot of y'all know that too. But I am not what my father was. And I am more like my heavenly father now than I ever was like my earthly father. 
And I can go through this room and I can point at people because I know your stories and I know you are the same way. And what you are doing for your families and what these three families did up here today is they took and they said, whatever the case may have been for this child and for me, this is how I'm raising this child. We took these three families up here today and others who are going to come in the spring with other family dedications. And what they've said is this. I am going to raise my child in the legacy of Seth and not in the legacy of Cain. I am going to raise my child in such a way as just the stuff that Steve asked each and every couple. I am going to raise my child in such a way that they have the opportunity to know God's word. They have the opportunity to understand God's word. They have the opportunity to choose Jesus as their personal savior at the day and time when they come old enough to understand the concept and step into that truth for themselves. Cain didn't give that to his children. Seth did. And you and I are the benefactors of Seth's decisions. I don't have any idea how long it is before the Lord's return. But let me ask you something. Is there any chance someday that there'll be generations from now who say, I am here today because that great, great, great grandmother who was born in Philadelphia (laughs) chose Jesus. And I am here today because of the decisions they made so long ago. What are you going to be known for in this life? It's no small thing to just choose Jesus. I was down at Cornerstone this week, yesterday for the, for the funeral, and I just happened to walk around while I was kind of waiting around a little bit. And if you know Cornerstone Community Church down there on the corner of Allegheny and Frankfurt, they have large uh, uh, stained glass windows. And at the bottom of every stained glass window right here, on every window there's a name. You want to know something? There's not a living soul who knows what that name is now anymore, who that person is. Their accomplishment in life, I hope, was more than getting their name on a stained glass window. Yesterday, we were down the city for a project for Owen. We were stuck in traffic on Chestnut Street forever. I'm looking at the buildings, and I'm looking at glorious, phenomenal old buildings with names on them. One name was the Robert Limebreaker building, I think. And it has something like a dollar store in it now. His name's on a building, but that's all his legacy is probably. A name on a building, accomplishment, legacy. There are many of us in this room who are leaving a legacy that won't be a name on a dollar store someday. But it will be in children who trust Jesus and be in the line of Seth and be faithful to a God who's being faithful to them. So this morning... Which legacy are you leaving? Are you spending your life trying to leave an eternal legacy? These families up here today said that they are going to commit themselves to that. These families are committing themselves to leaving an eternal legacy. Which is most important for you? An eternal legacy or accomplishment? Do you hope that someday that, you know, you're going to come to crossing and you pull out a chair and find your name on the back of it? You ever gone down to Sandy Cove? And you walk down the doors of Sandy Cove, all those doors where people stay, there's people's names on there. No one knows who those people are, but you lived in, you probably stayed a weekend in somebody's room with their name on it. Well, that's pretty great. Congratulations. And I got to have my name on a door in Sandy Cove. 
Are you going to leave a covenant installed into your children that they, that they grow up knowing Jesus and have an eternal impact on more generations to come? And I've got to tell you, quite honestly, it's a lot more work to raise a child for Jesus than it is to put your name on a building. Anyone can pay for that. But not anyone can raise a child for Jesus. There's nothing harder to do than that. Our challenge from this genealogy is which genealogy are you falling in? The way of Cain or the way of Seth? Where are you investing your time? At work? In the yard? With your hobby? With your buddies? With your gal pals? Or for eternity? Let's pray. Father, it's interesting how alive your word can be and how meaningful it can be when we look at these genealogies and how you speak to us when we look for you and how in these genealogies we find that you are true to your word from beginning to end. You are true to your people from beginning to end. Israel is Israel and alive and vibrant right now, not because they have a mighty army, not because they are really the smartest people in the world, but because they have the Messiah, because they have Jehovah who has covenanted to protect them and to keep a promise he made to their ancestor Abraham. You are a covenant-keeping father, and there's none like you. We are constantly struggling with our priorities, Lord. We are constantly struggling with doing things that we want for our comfort, for our name, for our recognition, for our renown, for our fame, for our glory. And yet you are always pulling us toward your name, your renown, your glory. And you are so much more worthy of it than we are. But in the brokenness of Adam, we are constantly trying to make a name for ourselves at your expense. Forgive us. Convict us. Hound us, break us, so that we yield to you. And we invest ourselves in being in the ancestry of Seth, in being simply known for nothing more than saying that Tim walked with God, that saying that Michael walked with God, that saying that Santo walked with God, that saying that Jack walked with God, May that be what we are known for someday, that he walked with God. Unto you, unto you and you alone, we worship you. And we yield ourselves to you today. In your great and glorious covenant-keeping name, amen. Amen.